Good morning and welcome to Money for Nothing. I'm Renita Malhotra Hora. U.S. stocks rose to a record led by energy and small cap shares. China's factory gauge fell to a six-month low, adding to signs that broader stimulus is needed to halt a slowdown. And Alibaba sells $8 billion worth of bonds at a lower premium in a debut sale. We've structured our show a little bit differently today. Uh, we'll start out by uh, talking about the, the market's news of the day with guest host Enzio von Feil of Private Capital. And we'll also do a quick wrap-up of how the Shanghai Hong Kong Stock Connect has fared in week one. Then we'll uh, do something that we haven't done for some time on Money for Nothing. That is a Friday-focused segment. We'll look at when the healthy eating industry can become profitable. Our guests this morning include Callista Goh, who is the owner of Anything But Salads, and Leonard Chung, a Hong Kong chef and caterer who has worked in a series of Michelin-rated restaurants. That's actually both here as well as in New York City. If you have any specific questions that you would like to put to them, then please do uh, uh, post uh, post your questions at our Facebook page. And once again, that is facebook.com forward slash money for nothing on RTHK Radio 3. Good morning, Enzio. Good morning to you, Renita. Thanks for joining us again uh, this morning as co-host. Of course, there's a lot of variegated data to talk about today. How's your Friday going? Well, there hasn't been much of it yet, I must admit, at 8, at 8 a.m., but we're, I'm sure we'll cope rather well today. Thank you. Absolutely. I'm glad to hear then, you know, ridiculously like me, you you haven't been up since uh, uh, silly hours. <laughs> but no, we'll only get since there. six. <laughs> okay, well, that's silly enough. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's look at today's top stories. U.S. stocks rose to a record led by energy and small cap shares as data showing improvements in the American economy overshadowed concern over weak over weaker growth overseas. The S&P 500 rose 0.2% to a record 2,052. The Dow Jones Industrial Average added 33 points to 17,719. And the Russell 2000 Index of smaller companies climbed 1.1%. So that's shares, but what about the fixed income market? Analysts are saying that there is probably a 0% chance of recession being priced in as people appear to be hungry for yield wherever they can get it. Uh, here is uh, the CEO of Janus. Well, I think the you know non-consensus rally in rates has been the biggest surprise for the market this year. Uh, many investors were concerned about rising rates like we were at the beginning of the year. And they've been surprised by a few things. One, the slowing economy in Europe, the concerns around what's happening in Japan, and more importantly, concerns on whether or not this recovery is sustainable. Um, We're in the camp that the recovery is sustainable. Things are getting better domestically. Things will get better globally. Mm -hmm. And we think that there are continued concerns around rising rates. The concern or the need for yield in the market is still present. And that will continue to be a theme with us, I think, for the next few years. And we'll probably contain rates from moving too high. Yet the U.S. Fed still appears to want to take considerable time. So what does this mean for rates in 2015? Well, I think for interest rates, we've got to start thinking about the real rates of return available in the market. And we've been talking about this for a few years, and we've positioned Flexible Bond Fund to, again, take advantage of the opportunities in the marketplace. Interest rates ultimately have to reflect a real rate of return and ultimately reflect the view on inflation going forward. The current deflationary pressures in the the global economy are holding rates down and will very likely keep us range-bound for a while, 
But as the economy continues to improve, as continued expectations around growth uh, emerge, I, I think rates could ultimately move higher into next year and create maybe a better buying opportunity than where we are right now. Yeah, and that is Richard Whale, who is the CEO of Janus. So the economic picture in the U.S. contrasted with weakness in Europe and Asia, a purchasing manager's index for factories and services activity in the euro area unexpectedly dropped in November to its lowest level, in fact, in 16 months. And London-based market economics said this today. Also in China, the factory gauge fell to a six-month low. Enzio, what do you think? Uh, all these dismal numbers. I mean, we're all looking for hope coming out of certainly Europe and, uh, you know, China added to that. Is this cause for worry? Absolutely not. The Europe, we have at Private Capital have written off it as welfared its way out of a business cycle. And Japan has barricaded its way out of a business cycle. So really forget those two economies. I think the key growth engines will be the U.S., China, yes, China, and India. Now, on the U.S., I think I'm not very original by saying that the economic time is ticking rather well. Things continue improving. I, however, disagree or beg to differ with the Janus expert who was on just a moment ago. I don't think that the Fed will be raising rates shortly or really for a long time because there will be no what we economists call demand pull inflation. This goes to say that there won't be rising a wage price spiral coming in the U.S. for many years because of of globalization. On to China, I think that there's going to be a year-end fiscal rally coming forward because those local governments have to spend the money that they were allocated last year in order to keep growing. And I think that that will continue. And on India, I think that you're one of your home countries, Renita, I believe. It seems to me as if the economy, the economic time looks pretty fine. There's probably, if anything, some inflationary pressure coming through, but there's an excess demand for goods, excess supply of money. That's a pretty good story. Now, that is a great story indeed. And, you know, analysts are certainly expecting the Sensex to double, some are saying even triple, who knows, we'll see, you know, over the course of the next five years or so. But, um, and you're coming back to the U.S. for a second. When do you actually expect these interest rates to rise? Well, it depends on which end of the curve you're talking. The bond yields, I believe, will continue picking up very, very slowly for the simple reason that the markets are still set in a 1960s, 70s, 80s and 90s mindset that better growth has to mean higher inflation. I somewhat differ because I don't think that globalization allows for that anymore. I think that there are very strong deflationary pressures, increased competition, more open markets in those countries where our markets are open, step in USA. So the long end of the curve, I think, will get steeper, higher long rates. The short rates will remain low because, if anything else, the U.S. economy, the financial system remains brittle. Okay, so, uh, Enzio, when it comes to bonds, Alibaba bond buyers are headed for quick profits after the e-commerce company's $8 billion worth of debt traded above offering prices in the unofficial gray market. Here's Robert Peck of SunTrust Robinson Humphrey. Here's what he says. 
It's the largest bond U.S. dollar-based offering out of China ever. And so we'll see $8, $10 billion. We'll see what the final numbers end up being. But what I love about it is they're taking their costs lower. So the average BIPs is 75 to 100 BIPs lower than their current debt that was already out there. So it's just a wise move as far as refinancing their debt they had pre the IPO. And then we'll see what they use some of the cash for going forward, what acquisitions have been very um, acquisitive so far. We'll see if they go more internationally abroad in Europe as well as in domestic as well, U.S. So what could they do in the acquisitions market? One of the things Jack Ma says, the reason they beat eBay in China was they knew the local market and they were able to compete because they knew that market better. He also knew that going abroad internationally, it wouldn't be just replicating the Chinese market abroad. So I look for them to continue to take stakes in things like ShopRunner, First Dibs, 11 Main here in the U.S., and take stakes in um, international players to penetrate those markets further. Enzio, when you look at this particular bond, everybody appears to be rushing to buy this. Yet, you know, the yield is low. It's, it's something like um, 3% over the course of seven years or 1.6% for a maturity period of three years. And then there is this whole susceptibility to an increase in rates next year. So why do you think everyone's so excited about it? Greed. Greed. A very bad counselor when it comes to investing. If, if there's going to be a crack in the markets, it's going to be in the bond market because it is simply overpriced. People, every man and his dog, so to speak, are chasing yield in the bond market. And that's a very bad sign when everybody piles in. So I take it you're not going to be one of those rushing to buy it or no, advising not, not, others? No, not for the next few years. I don't really like Alibaba because I think that the corporate governance is a little bit questionable and that's indeed why they weren't allowed to be listed in Hong Kong from what I recall. Tell us more about that, your particular opinion. Well, very much as a layman, it just seems as if the the lack of transparency in, in doing things, and I have to keep it general because I don't know the specifics, but the general lack of transparency of how he wishes to go about running his company is quite prevalent. And this is what I believe the Hong Kongers flagged off when it came to that massive listing. It's amazing that this beacon of democracy and transparency, the U.S. stock market, of course, yes, siree, said, yes, we want that listing. So you don't think that uh, the Hong Kong exchange is actually kicking themselves for uh, not listing Alibaba on, on the stock exchange here? I should hope not, because if anything, integrity should ultimately carry the day. And if we want to maintain this rule of law in Hong Kong, I think that it's a very good sign that the Hong Kong Stock Exchange did hold firm on this one also going forward. Okay, well, speaking of the Hong Kong Stock Exchange, buying and selling on the landmark trading link between Hong Kong and Shanghai uh, stock exchanges has, have, has been underway for just under a week. Well, just under a week. Um, now, Hang Seng Index uh, shares fell for the fourth straight straight day. And the Shanghai Composite was basically flat. Um, you know, after all of the excitement, at the early part of the week and all of the weeks leading up to it, um, things seem to be falling flat, waning. Why do you think that is? Well, it's got the sex appeal of the Hong Kong badminton open that okay. was just discussed, um, which goes to say, as you say, the price has been discounted. You, There's a lot more money that is going into China as opposed to Chinese money coming into Hong Kong because I think a lot of it has already come into Hong Kong. So I think it was kind of that was the event that was, and that's why I related to this badminton open that it just is not anything sexy. It, it's not saying anything new. 
Okay, I'm going to remember that analogy the next time my colleagues up at Radio 3 ask me to go play badminton Thank with them. Thank you. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. <laughs> no, you won't be in trouble, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, well, Ira Melman, who is our reporter at The Voice of America in Washington, um, has done some investigating on the U.S. side, and he sought to find out what uh, uh, you know U.S. Uh, investors and analysts are thinking uh, about the Shanghai Hong Kong stock link. So he spoke about this with Patrick O'Hare, who is the chief market analyst at Briefing.com, which is an online analytical firm based in Chicago. Well, I think the you know the U.S. is looking at the the Stock Connect uh, system as as a progressive move. Um, it's opening up uh, the Chinese market to more foreign capital, more foreign investment, which is regarded as a a positive step, uh, given what a lot of outside investors anyway uh, perceive as a great growth opportunity uh, into the Chinese market based on the urbanization effort that's underway in China. Now, what is the situation as far as the few days that this has been in operation? It almost seems like a northward-bound trek. Nobody seemingly coming from the mainland to Hong Kong. How do you read that? Well, we think uh, you know part of that is owed to the fact that um, there's a restriction uh, in terms of going southbound in terms of the account balance. You know. Um, uh, mainland investors have an account balance of at least 500,000 renminbi, which essentially limits that investment opportunity to the wealthiest individuals in China. And so that's one factor that we think is restricting some of those flows uh, uh, southbound. The other thing, though, is that you probably have somewhat of a, a, a home bias, if you will. Um, Chinese investors on the mainland are comfortable with doing business uh, in the areas that they know and are familiar with. And when you have a new system that potentially introduces new rule changes or, or, or new things after you've been set in your ways for a long time, it takes a while to adjust to that. And, of course, the authorities didn't do themselves any favors, really, by pretty much thrusting this program uh, out or the launch of it uh, on, a, on a very short notice. I mean, gave uh, institutional investors and retail investors alike about a week's notice before the launch date. And so we think there's really just more of an adjustment period here that is, is limiting some of those flows. As far as U.S. investors are concerned, what are some of the roadblocks, if any, to them taking part in this Connect setup. Well, from the U.S. investor standpoint, there's uh, you can see a number of risks. Frankly, um, you know, one is uh, is liquidity risk. Um, there is no day trading involved with the Stock Connect. Um, the uh, sell you can only sell shares, um, you know, one day after the trade day on or after one day after the trade date. Um, so that's one factor. You have currency risk because this trade is uh, going to take place in yuan. Um, and then there's um, transactional risk because you have to obviously transact through a Hong Kong listed broker to make this happen. Uh, and then if you throw in the added issue of, uh, of great uncertainty and questions surrounding corporate governance amongst Chinese companies, uh, they certainly don't have to adhere to the same accounting standards that U.S. companies do, uh, and therefore uh, company disclosures are, are, are less um, uh, informational than you might expect to see here in the United States. But nonetheless, um, uh, I think you know U.S. investors do recognize that there is some great growth opportunities on the mainland, um, and uh, we'll, we'll gradually come around to it because as the institutional 
uh, participation picks up in, in the Stock Connect, uh, we think that it will invite uh, stronger efforts to become, uh, for these companies to become more transparent in their disclosures, and that will eventually ease some of the uh, nervousness about investing in those Chinese companies. So, Enzio, Patrick said a few different uh, interesting things. I mean, yes. the first thing, uh, you know, that I picked up on was he said, you know, uh, investors in China will take some time to sort of uh, go beyond what they think is normal and perhaps venture outside to uh, look for things on the Hong Kong Exchange. I mean, do you think that's true? I would actually respectfully differ because I think if anything, the Chinese want to get out of their own country and get rid of their own passports, and that's what we're reading increasingly in the Hong Kong newspapers. I think, if anything, he was saying something else that, that adds to my view, which is that it's a little bit tricky for for Joe Normal investor, what I call the Johnny Rickshaws of this world out of China, to come into the into the Hong Kong market because they have to have this 500,000 minimum renminbi, which you know, for the normal Joe is a lot of money. So, But if the money already wants to come out, it will always find a way to come out. And I believe, if anything, that would suggest that the ribbon B will soften. It will not strengthen because there's going to be a larger outflow than inflow into China. And what about, um, you know, for outside investors, not just U.S., but elsewhere as well, um, you know, the transactional risks and the currency risk and the corporate governance issues, which you have also touched upon earlier. What do you think about all of these? Will they uh, prevent people from being so adventurous? Well, I don't think so because I think that this this noise that we always get about the terrible Chinese governance and the wonderful U.S. governance is somewhat put to naught when you figure that the U.S. Federal Reserve bailed out a major insurance company. So I'm not quite the buyer that the U.S. corporate governance is all you know peaches and cream either. Um, I think that you will find the growth rates of the emerging markets, particularly China and yesery India, continuing to be very strong relative to the others. And I think that's ultimately what's going to attract the money in, especially with more and more multinationals going into China, making China really a global play as opposed to just a local play. All right. Thank you. Let's take a quick look at the numbers before we go on to our next Focus Friday segment. The Nikkei is down uh, 38 points to 17. 1,262. Australia's ASX is also down two points to 5,300. And Seoul's Kospi is up seven points to 1,966. In currencies, one euro currently buys you 1.25 US dollars. One US dollar is worth 118 yen. And one pound sterling will buy you 12 Hong Kong dollars and 17 cents. Well, we'll be back to talk more about the profitability of the healthy eating industry. That's right after this. How are policies formulated? How should the government allocate its resources in the budget? Boost the economy. Meet housing needs. Care for the elderly. Or should we focus on education, health care, and the environment? Make your voice heard. Share your views on the Policy Address and Budget Consultation website at www.policyaddress.gov.hk or call our hotline 2810-3768. Well, healthy eating, it's uh, something that uh, certainly seems very attractive to many of us. But uh, then there are a whole load of people who appear to be repulsed by it. Why? Well, for the simple reason that it is too expensive. 
Now, that's something that I have personally always scratched my head about, so I thought I'd invite Callista Go, who is the founder and CEO of Anything But Salad, and Leonard Chung, a longtime chef here and in New York with experience in many Michelin-rated restaurants. Uh, I thought I'd invite them onto Money for Nothing to help us understand why healthy eating is so expensive. So good morning, folks. Good morning. (laughs) So, uh, Callista, let me start with you. Why is it simply so expensive to eat healthy? Well, I guess when you look at the way we cost foods into healthy eating, a lot of it's the processes, the organic certifications that go into it, the way that we handle the foods, the way that we process the foods, all of these add costs into the entire price point, and therefore it may seem more expensive to eat healthy. But truly, if you look at the supermarkets in Hong Kong, it's $19 to have organic bok choy. It really is affordable. You can't even buy a pint of beer with that in Hong Kong. Leonard, do you agree with that? I mean, from the point of view of, you know, a restaurant, because you've worked in so many restaurants, when you look to buy ingredients, um, are you in agreement with Callista that they're actually pretty cheap? Well, in Hong Kong, there's always the biggest debate to whether purchase organic products from afar or to purchase locally non-organic products. And most of the time, we go with the latter option to purchase non-organic, you know, because at the end of the day, it's just, you know, what really tastes good. Um, it's always great to advertise that your restaurant's selling organic products. But, um, for example, if you go to City Super and purchase two onions... Yeah, you're laughing because it's $19 for two onions. Yep. Whereas if you go to Wanzai, guys, the Wanzai market, you buy a whole pound of onions for $10 the most. But, you know, you say tastes good. And isn't the whole point that the organic produce actually tastes better? No, I think that's a misconception. Absolutely. Yes. Organic vegetables and non-organic vegetables do not taste different. However, when you look at the concept of healthy foods in general, they do taste different because we take out a lot of the MSG. We take out a lot lot of the soy, a lot of the refined sugars, and we put in natural things. When we talk about healthy eating, we're working with foods to make it taste better and to enhance the flavors of Mother Nature. We're not adding additives. That's a difference. Enzio, did you hear that? The uh, adding additives actually makes it taste not as good, according to Callista. Yeah, actually, it doesn't. So my understanding was that in so many things that are out in the press, in the media, it's it's the adding of all these things that you mentioned, the sugars and the soy and the preservatives and so forth. You know, they um, um, actually make things. Uh, one is that they preserve the foods. Secondly, they actually make them taste better and therefore serve uh, as almost sort of, in, you know, addiction and enhancers, if you will. So, you know, you, you want to go back and buy that packaged food again and again. Plus, it's cheap. Now, tell me why I am thinking this. Well, I think, again, you're looking at it from, you just mentioned, the point of view from an addiction So there you go. Your taste buds are numb to what actually natural foods taste like. The mark of a great chef is to actually work with fresh ingredients and to bring and enhance those flavors. When you look at packaged and processed foods, which you consider cheap, you know, they're actually taking out a lot of the natural things in food and actually putting things in to make you addicted. It becomes a a vicious cycle where you just keep buying something that you assume is cheap and you forgo what's actually natural and good and actually very sustainable. Enzio, any thoughts on that? Well, I just would say let's not blame the bad guys who are dumping the sugars into the foods. Ultimately, it's a consumer's choice and there's a lot of 
self-responsibility involved also. I think the fact that one is being offered these organic foods just makes one more aware that one has a responsibility towards oneself to actually eat the stuff more and more. And yes, what I would also add is that one is the, the taste buds have sadly been kind of aligned and calibrated to this junk food additive stuff but again it's our choice whether we want to whether we want to gobble the stuff up or not now leonard you said something interesting when i chatted with you yesterday you said in sort of the high-end restaurant industry uh using organic foods and healthy foods is a no-brainer but restaurants find it really repulsive to sell that as a concept well i don't think using healthy foods is a no-brainer it's Again, when you talk about healthy food and you know ethically, morally, ethically correct food, it's the whole. They're two different topics, but for, um, yeah, to talk about that subject, a lot of restaurants in New York, like a lot of the restaurants, are serving really healthy food, but they're not advertising themselves as serving healthy. You know, why not? It is repulsive <laughs> when you're having a great meal. <laughs> Food is you know, imagine going out for dinner on Friday, Saturday night. You are, you know, you want to go out and have a great meal, great wine. You know, the first thing that comes to mind if you hear about a really healthy, you know, healthy organic restaurant is salads. Um, you know, a skate wing that's been that's been seared with one, you know, exactly one tablespoon of extra virgin olive oil. But for example, ABC Kitchen by John George in New York, they actually sell really, really healthy food, but they don't advertise themselves as, as you know a healthy chain restaurant. Instead, they advertise themselves as you know a seasonally, seasonally local focused restaurant. And I yeah. have to respectfully disagree with Leonard. <laughs> I can see that. You've been trying to resist all those chuckle, chuckles into the microphone. Yes, exactly. Um, see, that's the misconception of what healthy food is. Less fats, less all of that. If you look at the recent Time magazine article, it's all about fat is back, butter is back. You know, the concept of having to measure out your fats and ration out your sugars, it's not about that. Healthy eating today is about a holistic approach. You can eat butter. In fact, butter is good for you. Bacon fat is good for you. Feel free to fry stuff in that. You know, uh, the only thing that we really need to take a step back and re-look at what healthy eating is, is that it's more dynamic. It's more or- organic, not in the sense of the certification, but in the process of building that recipe, of building that meal. And there's a reason why my company is called Anything But Salads. Why? <laughs> <laughs> Simply because health foods are so much more than just salads. And when you really look at it, you can eat organic grass-fed meats, high-quality products, you know, high-quality protein, free-range eggs, is respecting both the animal and the plants and how you actually process it. Okay, so there we go. We are out of time, even with a friday focus segment. All right, <laughs> if you'd like to continue the discussion with Callista Go, the owner of Anything But Salads, and Leonard Chung, please do go ahead and post a comment uh, on our Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash money for nothing on RTHK Radio 3. Thank you so much for joining us thank this you. morning, No, folks. thank you. So, Enzio, here we are on a Friday. What else yes. should we be... Uh, looking out for as we go into the weekend? Well, I think just one point that Callista made, just to add on to that, either the food is repulsive or I suspect it's the cook who's repulsive. Okay, well, yes. Okay, We have to be mindful of who is actually cooking that food for us. Yeah, he can have all the bok choy he wants. If he he screws up, then 
you know, it's just not going to happen. Okay, remind me to be really uh, sort of on my guard the next time I invite you for dinner, Enzio. Oh, okay. Well, just... <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for joining us this morning as guest host. That is Enzio Von File of Private Capital. A quick look at the numbers before we close up the show for the week. The Nikkei is down four-tenth of a percent to 17,227. Australia's ASX is also down three-tenth of a percent to 5,285. And Sol's Kospi is up uh, two-tenths of a percent to 1,963. This is Renita Malhotra Hora closing up Money for Nothing. A quick look at the weather forecast before we depart. Today will be mainly fine with a maximum temperature of around 24 degrees. Currently, the temperature is 21 degrees Celsius and the relative humidity is 82%. And now it's time for the half-hour news with Samantha Butler. The Legislative Council is expected to vote down another attempt to investigate the integrity of the Chief Executive C.Y. Leung. Councillors will continue debating later this morning whether to establish a select committee under its Powers and Privileges Ordinance on the issue. A similar motion was vetoed last month. DAB Vice Chairwoman Starry Lee says there simply isn't enough evidence to warrant a probe. She says she considers this renewed attempt to be part of the Pan-Democrats' non-cooperation campaign in the legislature. We all know that there's not enough evidence up to this moment and different legislators do raise this um, motion again and again. This is, to me, uh, another uncooperative action and we know that we are all paying a price for that, like 